All right, all right, all right. Welcome back to the Misfit Nation. Last episode, we got to hear from Alan Simmons and learned about his journey and the awesome path his life is on now. We look forward to hearing about his next move novels in the future and all the good things he does for others. In this episode, we meet a dynamic speaker, an accomplished leader, an expert in managing people to peak performance during change and adversity. He has over 20 years of experience speaking for Fortune 500 clients in a broad swath of industries, including healthcare, financial, insurance, retail, and the military, at hundreds of conferences, seminars, and retreats. His name is John Davis, and without further ado, let's get him up on here. Get my have my grown up job and buy one. So that's where how I long how, how long were you in the army? Uh, Twenty two years. Wow! Thank you very very much. Um, have you been no over? Problem. Have you been over over to the sand? Uh, four times. Oh, where'd you where'd you go? Uh, Iraq. Uh, well, I was in Kuwait when nine eleven occurred. So okay. I went from a regular deployment to a combat deployment on 9-11. So I stayed okay. there and helped to Afghanistan. Then I went to Iraq and then Afghanistan two times at the end of my career. Okay. So, so did you see any good USO shows when you were over there? Uh, where I was, usually they didn't come to us. We had the WWE people came to us a couple of times. I was mm-hmm. in Ramadi, Iraq, and then I was in uh, Kandahar, Afghanistan and Kunar, Afghanistan. Okay, so we I've, were, been, uh, I've been in Ramadi uh, and 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 Kandahar. Uh, okay, never made it to Kumar. I went all the way out to Korean Village in in uh, Iraq. Uh-huh. Yeah, I did. I did all, all all of the Marine bases in the in the Anbar Province uh, doing USO nice. shows. I did a show called Hack and Slash uh, from two thousand one uh-huh. to two thousand one to two thousand six. I would have been in Iraq in two thousand three, four, and uh, say say yeah, two thousand three. Four, five, and six. We would have been in Iraq. Oh wow! Yeah, I was there I was, three, four. I was, I was curious whether you'd seen a, a comedy sword fighting show with beds of nails and crazy guys. <laughs> I did not see it, but I'm sure you were in our area. I was in uh, Ramadi <laughs> in 2003, 2004. Oh yeah, I, got, I have actually video of me sword fighting in the palace. At Ramadi. Okay, yeah, the blown up palace. Diamond, I'm good. Yeah. Camp Blue Diamond. Yeah. Yep, I all oh, totally been there. Actually, I, the my my biggest memory of Blue Diamond. <laughs> this is kind of funny. I uh, I got up to go. Uh, I was I was in one of the sleeping cans, and I went over to go to the Cadillac, and I walked into the Cadillac, and I was and I was cleaning up, and I I looked up, and there was an RPG stuck in the wall above me. <laughs> that's Welcome. What, I, I walked outside and said, "Is is, is that a bad thing?" <laughs> and the guy says, "Well, we just haven't gotten to it yet." <laughs> and that's the bad thing. <laughs> yeah. that, was, that was so amazing. That was the show where, where at the end of the show, with they put us in the motor pool. We did our show in the oh, wow. motor pool, and um. At the end of the show, a guy comes up to me and says, you know, this morning I was in a firefight. This afternoon for two and a half hours, I forgot all about that. Thank you so much for coming. That was like the biggest compliment we could have gotten. In, in yeah, a- to have that escape, I guess, the, the yeah. when we're over there. Something to help us escape from our reality that's going on. Yeah, it's like Groundhog Day, except for Groundhog, except for every day, everybody, everybody wants to kill you every day, right? Yes, everyone hates you every day, every day, right? <laughs> but when I when I say thank you for your service, I mean it because I've seen it firsthand. I appreciate it, no problem. Yeah. Uh, 
So if you want to just uh, tell us a little bit about your, how you got started in uh, motivational speaking or, or just public speaking, basically for 20 years now, I guess, right? And yep. uh, over 20 years. And you're also a stunt, a stunt coordinator, a fight director, a comedian, a little bit of a hodgepodge of everything, kind of like most of the people that were part of the Misfits, they're a hodgepodge of everything. So if you just want to tell a little bit about you, that'll get us going and see us, see how we sure. go from here. Sure. Well, I, when I was a young man, I wanted to be a, uh, I wanted to be Robin Hood. Actually, I was a kid. I was out in the woods with a stick in my hand and a sword and swinging from from vines and all kinds of crazy stuff. And then that kind of manifested in the desire to become a stuntman and a fight director and do sword fights for stage. And I, I ended up getting drugged to a Renaissance festival and meeting two of the top fight directors in the country who, who gave me all their training for free because they thought I had talent. And uh Got real, real into that, and we was working my way to, to becoming a fight director and a fight choreographer, a stuntman, and uh, I was also going for my black belt in taekwondo at the time. And a friend of mine called me up and said, "Hey, can you help me unload my van?" And I said, "Sure, no problem." So I drove out to his house, and I started to um, unload these boxes of clay he had in his van, which were like uh, 80, 80 pound boxes of clay. He was a professional potter, and I picked up that first box of clay, and when I turned to set that box out of the, out of the van, my spine cracked in two. Oh. Um, and I collapsed and was paralyzed. Um, so they took me to the hospital. The doctor said, uh, Mr. Davis, you have a, sp- a condition known as spina bifida occulta, to which I promptly said gesundheit. <laughs> I, I had no idea what he was talking about. <laughs> three, of, three of my vertebrae never formed properly at birth. And what happened with the extra 80 pounds and the twisting action, I broke my spine in half. Um, he said, oh. you'll, prob- you'll probably never walk again. And even if you do walk again, you'll never have a physical career. Um, and so basically at 22 years old, I was told all my dreams were done. And, you know, I went to some pretty dark places. Then a buddy of mine comes in and he, he gave me a gift. And, and it's funny when you look back at it now, it kind of looks like the cruelest, cruelest joke somebody could play. But I was lying in a hospital bed just being told I'd never do martial arts again or, or any sort of physical, you know, fighting styles. And he gave me a book called The Tao Jeet Kune Do by Bruce Lee. And so he gave he gave the martial artist who was just told he'd never do martial arts the only book ever written by the greatest martial artist that ever lived. <laughs> I was like, well, thanks. So like, but, but as I read that book, I was fascinated because that book is, is more about his philosophy of martial arts than actually learning, you know, technique or katas. So I, I, I tapped into a couple things in there, I tapped into leveraging your present moment and staying very present. And I tapped into mental flexibility and what I did was I decided in that moment that that this doctor was giving me his belief, but I was going to take my own belief and, and live my own moment. And, and I started flexing my upper back muscles. And I slowly, over the course of you know, the next several weeks, would just slowly flex my back muscles all the way down my back as far as I could go until one day I was able to flex my hips. And the doctors were blown away. They couldn't believe it. And then... By, by the time a month had gone by, I was able to sit up on the side of that bed. And by the time of six months, I was walking around. At a year, I was back to where I would say I was a normal human being again, but I was not as big and buff and, you know, rock hard masculine as I was before. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> um, what happened was at a, at a year and six months, I had brought myself back far enough that I gave myself a gift. I, I climbed up on top of a three-story tower and I jumped off into a fall pad. Um, 
I then went on to do over 4,000 live comedy sword fighting stunt shows all over the world, including the front lines of Iraq and Afghanistan. And um, then that comedy show had taken me all over the world and I'd met stars. I'd done all kinds of things. I've worked in movies. I'd done a lot of things. And I started to realize that I was enjoying the time off of the stage more than on the stage. And what I was doing off the stage was I was helping people achieve their goals and, and, and break out of their limiting beliefs. And I suddenly realized that I had come up with this process I call the five F's, hacking the fight or flight response and creating real outcome. And that five F's took me to a whole new levels. Now I was like, okay, how do I bring that to, how do I bring that to an audience? And more so, how do I bring that to an audience, but still do all the cool stuff that I like to do, like whips and nunchucks. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so I created the corporate action hero and now I go into corporations and I, Awaken their interaction hero. I do whips and nunchucks on the stage. And one of my main corporate action hero speeches always culminates with me choosing the most timid person I can find in my audience, dragging them to the stage in an under five minutes using the techniques. I take them from never having cracked a whip to cracking a whip and taking targets out of my hand. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's awesome. That's, that's how I ended up becoming the corporate action hero and doing motivational speaking. Awesome. I mean, that's a journey right there. And, and you, basically you got, you got kicked, kicked in your chest, bro, I broke your back and you bounce back showing resilience. And do you think that resilience came from your upbringing or just your hard headedness made you push through it? I, I think that that um, resilience came from me choosing to take my own power. Um, you know, the resilience is one thing. Yes, I had resilience because I was able to go through it. But resilience is um, is a choice. And for me, I couldn't I couldn't choose to do what that doctor was saying. I couldn't choose to do what all my well-meaning friends were saying. I had to choose and create my own experience. And now my pet before this, I, I didn't have a lot of self um uh, strength. I was a very low self-esteem because I, I came from a, um, a father who, who had seven kids and I was the one he didn't like. And he was an emotional abuser. And he actually had, had really knocked me down to the point where I almost, I couldn't speak in public before. And so when this thing happened, I was just, I was, you know, I'd started getting into acting. So it gave me a chance to break free of that. And when it, when, by getting into acting, I was able to, to separate my original, you know, chi hurt child and p become a character. And once I became that character, I was able to embody the character. And then I was able to come back to myself and say, okay, that's a different character that I was as a child. And so it's a different animal. It's, you know, when, I look at, when I look at resilience and all those things, it, it literally, like I say, it comes down to choice. And for me, it's about, it's about your present moment. What are you creating in your present moment? Because all of your all of your limiting beliefs, all of your self doubt comes from past experience in your subconscious mind, and if the only way you change your subconscious mind is to stack present moments successfully and positively, and because all the all the subconscious mind really is is the collection of present moment memories. Right, and a lot of people do get hung up on what happened before. So uh, right. If I fell down, if I ran this lap and I fell down, I'll never be able to run a lap again because right. I fell down I'm, on turn three. I fell down or if right. you're a race car, I, cra I crashed into a wall here. I'll never pass this race. And you're right. People just that it's a mental block. It blacks you out basically. And you defeat yourself basically. 
Right, exactly. And you think about, think about this, you know, your subconscious mind has two real jobs. And the first job is to store those memories and give you that subconscious belief. The other job that your subconscious mind has is to help you achieve whatever you focus on. And so, um, and so say, for instance, you decide, okay, so, so you have, you told me you have a Jeep, right? So, so when you, when you decided to buy that Jeep, did, before you went to the store to buy it, did you start seeing Jeeps everywhere? Yes. Everywhere. Everywhere. (laughs) Everywhere. Right. And the the reason that happened is because you consciously chose Jeep. And next thing you know, your subconscious mind was saying, there's a Jeep, there's a Jeep, there's a Jeep, there's a Jeep. This is why people, this is why people are negative or people are victims because they're saying, I'm a victim. I'm a victim. I'm a victim. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm stuck. I'm stuck. I'm stuck. And they're focused on that. You know, if they can change their subconscious, their conscious focus, you know, there's only one moment that we can do anything, you know, thought word and deed only is active in the present moment. You know, as I said, the past is just present moment memories the future is just a place where you set goals for your next present moment. But the, the people who sit here and in and, and the focus of I want to change are just saying that they don't have it here and now in the present moment. And when you, if you want to change your present moment and you want that giant goal that you set up there, you have to realize one thing. You don't have to get to that goal. That goal is coming to you depending on what you do with your present moment. And so if you take your present moment and you actively make it positive and in alignment with the goal, that goal is moving to you. And when you experience it, it'll be in your present moment. So for me, I, when that doctor said I couldn't become a stuntman or a flight director and might not possibly ever walk again, I couldn't, I couldn't take that as my belief. So instead, what I did was I took this present moment and said, I'm going to be a stuntman. And I started flexing my back muscles and I started taking the present moment actions towards that outcome. And by the time I got to that year and a half point, I jumped off that tower. I had, I had learned a whole new way of, of manifesting my life. And, you know, now I've been to 30 countries. I climbed Mount Sinai. I, I climbed Machu Picchu. I've been in the blue lagoons of Iceland. I've, you know, I've been all over the world doing amazing things. And it's all because of the fact that I knew I could. And I, and I chose to do them. You chose the correct path. And that, yeah. that's what, uh, the hang up, like we're just like we're both saying, I think the hang up everyone does is they they see the easy the easy way to turn is not to do not to go for the challenge. So if I if I'm running down the street and I see the two paths, this one looks a lot easier. There's no red lights. I'm going there. and It's easy. That's a lot. Most people will do. They won't take that hard one where you have to actually put in the effort and think things through to get out of there. Then that's what stops a lot of people because they take that easy right. And then all of a sudden there's a wall and they don't know what to do. And here, here's another way to look at this. Instead of thinking of it as a challenge, think of it as I can easily conquer anything. I mean, that's that, that's a very different way of thinking about things. You know, it's it's interesting. You know, Buddha says, what you think you become, you create your world. Krishna said, you are the culmination of your thought. Um, Gandhi said, you must be the change you want to see in the world. Jesus said, whatever you ask in God's name is granted. But Moses said, God's name was I am. So whatever you're putting after I am is what you're creating, what you're what you're asking for. You know, and so I am wanting, I am needing, I am hoping, I am trying that I am basically asking for wanting, needing, hoping, or trying. You know, you want to make sure that you're asking for creating, enjoying. I am enjoying. I am having a great time. I love, you know, conquering big, big uh, obstacles. And, that, you know, this is just fun. You know, the way you think about the, the, you, you, your experience and what you're doing determines your, your life experience. Right. In 2012, uh, on my last deployment, 
I was wounded two days into country in Kunar. I had a mortar hit behind me and went through my left leg, uh, out my knee. And mm. prior to it, I had become a pretty good runner, a marathoner. And the first thing the doctor told me was, I'll never run again. I can't mm. run. And so I just took that as, all right, accept it. Challenge accepted. And every right. morning I'd wake up before everyone else and hit the little dirty treadmill and do as much as I could before my up and then hide back in the bed like I didn't do anything until finally a year later I was running the Savannah Marathon. Ah, nice, I nice. I put myself through it. And, yeah. Right. And you know, but you know what? You, it sounds to me you like you find conquering challenges fun. Right. <laughs> Right, you're like, all right, great, cool. Let's go get that thing. Let's right? do it. <laughs> yeah. you know? Arnold Schwarzenegger once said, "He says I love when people tell me that it can't be done because I know I'm going to be the first." Right. <laughs> right. If you think about if you think about that, and you know, Robin Williams once said, you know, when they asked him if he would ever do a Mork and Mindy reunion, he says, "You don't look backwards if you're trying to go forwards or just run into a tree." Right. <laughs> So if you're if you're focusing on the past and what you did in the past and the the experiences you've had in the past, then you're not actually conquering the challenges that are coming ahead of you. And those challenges can be can be thought of as a cool thing to do. You know, I can't wait to get there. I can't wait to you know, get to the other side of that. That'd be great. Exactly. And then it's like the fireworks at the end for me. Every time I I, I prove prove that I can do it and will do it. And just like this podcast, I, it just as a I guess a whirlwind thought in my head when I was doing a paper for my doctorate a couple months ago. So you know what? I'm going to start up a, a podcast that's totally against the subject I'm studying. So that way <laughs> I can have two different things going on in my head all the time. And my wife's like, yeah, you're going to burn out. I said, I got it. I'm going to do it. Challenge accepted. I just pushed forward and made a podcast. So there, here you we are. <laughs> there you go. It's great. And uh, you know, it's, it's cool because the, you know, when, when you, when you decide you want to do something, it's like, you know, the, the, the business model for Apple is very interesting because, Apple did not have a business plan until they were 10 years in. All they did was, all they did was take bold steps. And then at 10 years in, they said, I guess we should organize this. <laughs> right. Right. Um, but, and then, I mean, look what they've done now. I mean, I'm sitting here talking to you right now. I've got a, I've got a Mac computer right next to me. I've got a Mac computer in the other room. I've got an iPhone right in front of me and an iPad next to my bed in my bedroom. Right. So I mean, I mean it did I'm something right. What you say? They did something right. <laughs> they did something right. Yeah. And, and you know, it's so, it's so fascinating to me that they didn't have a business plan until they were 10 years in. That's amazing. Right. Think about it. <laughs> Just a couple young guys uh, developing stuff. And right. In a garage. <laughs> in a garage. Right. <laughs> this looks pretty cool. <laughs> right. Right. And, yet, you know, their whole goal was to take on IBM. And, right. And they, what, you know, how often I mean, you only hear IBM now when you're talking to real big business now, because they're like, Oh yeah, we're using right. IBM because we're buying it in commercial bulk. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> and yeah. do you remember, do you remember the, 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 um, the film 2001, a space odyssey? Yes. Okay. Do you remember the, 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 the name of the computer was how, and do you, do you, ever, yes. do you ever, you ever know why it was named how? No. Because the letter after H is I, the letter after A is B, and the letter ah, after L is M. And, uh, and so IBM was the big conglomerate that everyone was talking about and how became named because IBM is the next letter after each one of those letters. And so it, it literally was the, the monopoly in the room. Yeah, everywhere you went, when, uh, I guess through high school and after that, if you went to a business, 
their, their copier machine was IBM. Everything was IBM in the building. So that, that's all I ever heard of until, you know, technology finally caught up with small companies at the time, Apple or the Macintosh coming up. And, oh, my God, there's other people out. There's other competitors in the world. And now those right. two have taken over the world. And what was really interesting is, is Jobs was so forward thinking that his first idea for a computer was the tablet, was the iPad. But he couldn't figure out how to get it to all the functionality to work in an iPad mode. So he started with the Macintosh. So, but his goal was to work to the iPad. And I, I love my iPad until it just recently died. I have to get a new one now. But I, <laughs> I used to, I carried that everywhere with me. Well, I'll tell you what, the new, the new M1 chip and the new iPads are going to be amazing. I can't wait to, to get my next one for that because they're, they're working so much easier and faster and without, without heating up like a lot of computers do. Yes. <laughs> so you worked in as a stunt coordinator, fight director, any uh, famous movies did you work on or any films that we would know? You know, most of the stunt work that I did was live stunt shows. So I did a lot of per- performance live. I did work on uh, some technical things. Um, like I'm, I'm very well known for teaching whips and nunchucks and sword play. Um, I was in a movie called California with Brad Pitt and David Duchovny. Um, yes. And a couple of other films, but you know, film work was not really my my forte. I really was the live guy. And here's the main difference between live stunts and 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 film stunts. In films, you you learn your choreography, you learn your stunt, and you go out there and you perform it. You get it on film, and you're done. With live stunts, you have to learn it, train to do it repeatedly, and then you'll sometimes perform it, for, you know, you know, four or five times a day for nine months. So you know, you're actually you're doing, you know, hundreds of times more actual stunt time than you are when you're actually doing a film. So when you look at like, when you go to the like theme parks and you see the Western Western um, stunt show and like the guy falls off the second story and he falls through a couple of boards and into the boardwalk and, you know, it looks really you know painful and dangerous. Well, it is painful and dangerous, but, but, uh, but uh, the guy has, has literally does that, you know, four times a day you know, multiple days a week for an entire season. And that guy has got to be so spot on trained. And the difference really becomes is you really, when you're doing live shows, you really get a sense of where you are and when you are in your stunt. So in other words, if you start a fall, you know exactly how you're going to hit the second you, you, you start to make the motion. And sometimes when you're doing a, I know I, I was talking to another stuntman the other day and he was talking about doing a film where he had to do a six story high fall. And he went off the building and he'd never done a six story high fall. He'd only done three story high falls. And he went off the building. It was, it was just because he wasn't used to that fall. He ended up in the wrong position and almost got seriously injured because he just wasn't, wasn't used to the fall, you know, because his, he ended up with his feet down instead of being flat. And that's, it's, it's interesting. When you do live stunts, you actually do much more stunt work. Um, But you do the same one repeatedly. If that makes sense. Oh yeah, that makes plenty of sense right there. It definitely makes sense because you actually, and also in the first time you're doing it live, you have to get it right, or it's a not a very good show. <laughs> well, or it might be a really good show, but you'll never do it again. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. As, as Daffy Duck once said, "I can only do it once." <laughs> That's right. There's only there's some things that are going to stop you at that point. Right, right, right. It's great, but I can only do it once, right? So it's like, you know, and, you know, it's like when you when you're in those when you're in any of those stunts, 
they are the uh, you know as far as film work's concerned what's really interesting to me is i'm one of those guys i have worked on a bunch of different film things but i don't like to talk about the film things because it i think i think when you learn too much about behind the scenes of a film you end you end up being seeing the the wizard behind the curtain and taking the magic away from the art form the art form is the story that's been told and a stuntman's job or a stunt person's job. There's a lot of amazing stunt women I know too, who their their job is to go out there and propel the story forward. And you know, if you're if you're opening up the doors and showing all the all the all the stuff behind, you're kind of losing the the, the momentum of the story itself. And to me, I have a you know, it was funny because I recently did a a another podcast. It was me and another another guy, another um, actor who's uh, basically a specialty skills actor, which is basically an actor who will do some of his own stunts. And it was very interesting because as I, as we were sitting there talking, it was like, we realized, you know, we're, we're just part of the story. And if you're not, if you're not, if you're not part of the end product, then the, and, and you have to realize that the end product is what's most important in all of it. So I, you know, most of us, most of us who do stunts, we don't necessarily like to talk about the things we've done. And sometimes contractually, we're not allowed to because a lot of, lot of actors will go on stage uh, and, you know, and talk shows and say they do their own stunts. And when in reality, they don't, um, <laughs> you know, um, and so you're not contractually, you're not allowed to say certain things. Right. You don't want to mess up their, their bold face lies on Ellen <laughs> generous or whatever. <laughs> shut her on. Well, they're building a reputation and, you know, God bless them. Yeah. Go for it. You know, who cares? <laughs> you know, I got paid. <laughs> <laughs> you did your job. You did it right. And you can, you right. can walk away. <laughs> right. Right. I, I, yeah, I still, yeah, exactly. I still have all my function. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so in all your trips overseas, yeah, I know you said that one soldier told you, you made actually made him feel like he wasn't even there anymore uh, in that same realm. What was your favorite uh, base or location that you got to go in to entertain troops? Oh my gosh. I mean, there's so, we did so many bases. I can't tell you. Uh, I, I will tell you, I'll tell you an interesting story is um, the first two tours. Well, well, let me, let me kind of back up a little bit. So September 8th, 2001, September 8th. Okay. Saturday, September 8th, I'm walking off stage at the Maryland Renaissance festival. And these two guys walk up and say, Hey, you know, we're from the USO. Would you be interested in doing USO shows? We're like, sure. That'd be, yeah, that'd be great. So, September 10th, which was Monday, we showed up at their office and dropped off our, our marketing packet. Of course, Tuesday was September 11th and all the, right. the towers and the Pentagon got hit and everything. And then they called us up and they said, can you go right away? And, you know, you know how the military is right away means let's get the paperwork done. <laughs> right? So, so we went and got all the paperwork done and all our shots done and everything. And they sent us to Europe. Uh, we went from uh, November to February that year. And we were, we were over there as all the soldiers were coming into England and they were sleeping in the hallways at bases because they didn't have enough bed space. They were moving them towards Afghanistan. And so we did th that tour was actually very, very impactful because we were actually there and seeing soldiers who were on their way. The second tour, they sent us to Europe again, only this time nobody was going through Europe to get to where they're going. And so we were showing up on bases and it was like, nobody was even showing up for the shows because if they don't want, and if they want entertainment, they're going into Europe. They're not going to hang on base. Right. So, All right. <laughs> so I kept telling them on that tour, I said, you need to send us where they need us. They don't need us in Europe. They need, you need to send us as far down range as you can send us. I kept telling them that. So the third tour, 
<laughs> I found myself standing on the flight line in Fallujah. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm standing here and I'm telling, telling this colonel, I said, I told him, don't send us back to Europe. Send us where they need us and send us further down range. And I finished the word range and a qu- quarter mile off to my left, a bomb blew up. <laughs> and the cur- colonel turns, he looks at me, he says, son, you can't get further down range. <laughs> well, then we went, we went on and did a whole bunch. And the, I don't know if you remember early on in the, early on in the, um, in the war, I, I forget, was did the Shia attack the Sunni's mosque or vice versa? I don't know which one did it. But there was, it was in a town called Samara. Yeah. Um, do you remember? Do you remember that? Yes. Okay. So right next to that town, there is a base, and we were on. We were in the way our our show worked. We had four of us with us: me, my comedy partner, and we brought two other comedians with us so that we could bring out a full blown show, like a real long show. And they would put us in in one helicopter and all of our equipment in another helicopter. We'd fly in in these two Blackhawks. Well, we flew in, they dropped us off, and we get out. The helicopters, of course, get off the ground as fast as possible. You don't leave the targets down, you know, get the planes in the air. And so we get out, we're like, okay, it's lunchtime. They said, well, we don't have a DFAC dining facility for you heathens who don't know that. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> we don't have a DFAC here on base. So go over to that, that trailer over there, get your food, and then scatter and find some place to eat because we don't want to congregate. So we went over and got our food. We found this Humvee and climbed up in the Humvee. And we ate our lunch and did all that. And then we we got finished lunch. We went over and we got all set up. We did our full show, two and a half hours of just, you know, swords and whips and nunchucks and, and beds of nails and ladder walking and juggling and fire eating and blah, blah, blah. It was a crazy show. Crazy show. Finished the show. Got all packed down. Walked back out near where the choppers come in. Uh the two choppers come in and they land and they, they, the soldiers throw all of our equipment in the front chopper. We climb up in the back chopper. The choppers tip to, to fly out and the RPG goes underneath the helicopter I'm sitting in and hits the Humvee I had lunch in. Oh, wow. <laughs> and then wow. now, we're the, now we're the only birds in the air, right? And so we're, we're going hunting because we, you know, we're looking for them. We started sweeping the town of Samara and then, you know, the, the guy with the gun waiting to shoot at something. And we never actually found them, but it was it was a really interesting experience to have that happen to me. I'm sure you you understand, considering your own. Oh, experience. yes. <laughs> yeah, under, understand the pucker factor. Very much. <laughs> pucker factor. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's a great way to say it, because that's exactly how it felt. <laughs> yes. You couldn't get a pin up there with a jackhammer, man. <laughs> That's that point where you don't trust a fart right there. Right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but you know what? I, I, I got to say, having, having done those tours, I would go again right now. I would go anywhere in the world because no matter what you think about the actual conflicts they're in, no matter what you think of the war, no matter what you think of it, those people volunteered to go anywhere in the world to defend me. And so it is the least I can do to go there and make them laugh for a couple hours. You know, and I and I think that I think that people need to start stop getting into the politics of why we're there and start thinking on the human level of who is there, you know, you know who's there, and what, why are they there, and I think that that's I think that's missed in a lot of uh, today's uh, conversation. Oh yeah, it's uh, it's a missed in in multiple conversations, not just with the war, but with many things. They blame the people on the ground; they don't blame the person 
that put them there. So right, exactly. It's, it's, it's just a weird dynamic in that in that sense. Right. Uh, and I mean, my I, my tour in Kandahar, uh, that's when I, Robin Williams. I met him and him and Lance Armstrong. Um, I forget the one comedian's last name is Black. They were they came to visit Black? us. And I got, yes, yes. And I got uh, I got Robin Williams to say "Good Morning Afghanistan." That was my highlight of ever with any of the USO treatment things. So oh, I got right. him to say that and got got my picture with him. And so that was the closest I got to when I got to escort him to the stage, and then I was uh, back on duty. So, do you, know, do you remember what year? Do you remember what year that was? That was uh, 2010. 2010. Okay. Or 11, actually. Early, early 11. Early 11. Okay. okay. So in in 2005, uh, we were the tour that followed Rob Robin Williams. He he came in one week. We came in the next. Okay. Yeah. So we we never got to meet him, but we were always right behind him, hearing all the Robin Williams stories. The funny thing is, if you go on YouTube right now, you'll find this one um, where he's he's at um, a base in Kuwait and he's starting his act, and then Revelys hits, and the whole audience stands up and turns around, and he's like, "What the hell?" <laughs> right? And and it was funny because I was watching that, and I had that exact same experience on that exact same stage. It was, oh, wow. it was like, it was like <laughs> watching watching my life being being played by Robin Williams. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, amazing, amazing guy. He was an amazing guy in general. But and then, of course, you know, he had a sad ending. But you know, that was a mental disease. Right. And, and his wife talks about, you know, he had he had been diagnosed with a, a form of dementia that just you know de- totally debilitates your mind. So. Um, but he had a great life and, and I love his, his, every one of his movies, he made sure that somewhere in the movie, he said carpe diem, either in English or in Latin, right? He said, seize the day yes. or carpe diem. Seize um, the day. Yeah. And that is, that's, that's the way I live my life now is I seize, I seize every day and I go out and I achieve my dream because of the fact that I'm achieving every day because I'm seizing every day. Yeah. Definitely. And my wife actually has, she's a history teacher, eighth grade, and she has that on her wall, carpe diem. So she took yeah, that from him. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an amazing quote. And, you know, there's, there's so many amazing quotes that are out there, but th- that kind of says a lot in the <laughs> idea of, you know, you're the one who has to seize the day. You're the one who has to who get that interaction hero and get them charging forward. Nobody else can do it for you because if, if you're following what somebody else says about your life, then you're living their life and not your own. You know, you right. need to make sure, make sure there, you're living, living their opinions. Say it again. You start to live other people's opinions and you're not really living. You're just there. Right. right. And if you really want, if you really want to have a, an amazing, unconditionally loving life, then tr- to, to, to actually truly have an unconditional loving life, you have to, Fully be you so that you can be loved for you. And if you're living to somebody else's expectations, you're not being you. You need, you need to make sure that you are expressing you. I talk to people all the time who are like, they like they're single and they want to get, they want to find a quote unquote soulmate. And I say, well, how are you doing that? And they say, well, you know, I'm going to the bars and I'm meeting people. And I'm like, so let me ask you a question. Are you a bar person? And I can't tell you how many people say no. So you're not a bar person. So in other words, you're going to a place to meet people who like the things that you don't necessarily like and pretending you're you're like them. So why don't you just start doing the things you like to do and start to talk to people who like the same things as you? 
And, you know, just stop worrying about finding somebody and start worrying about expressing yourself. That way somebody can find you and like you for you. Great advice. And, and I've seen people go down that road and choose someone that is not even compatible because they went to a place, like you said, to a bar or say a casino to meet somebody and that's not their life, but that was that person's life. And right. it falls apart not, not long after. Right. Right. And, you know, and, and, I, I, I'll be honest with you. I, uh, <laughs> I learned that the hard way <clears throat> um, because, you know, they call me triple X cause I have three of them. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, but what I learned from all three of them was that every time I got into one of those relationships, I gave myself up for their expectations and, you know, they didn't love me for me. They loved me for what they could thought they could make me. And, that you know that's not that's not unconditional love that's conditional love and you need to make sure that you're you're being yourself fully and if they don't like you for you then move on <laughs> move along it's just, exactly you, we're not a, a circus animal that needs to be trained right we're, we are we are when you meet us and that's what it is yeah, and if you can't handle that then 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 we're not meant to be together you know right and, and yeah, I said something the other somebody the other day. They were they were talking about their life and I, and they were talking about the fact that they spent some time alone and it seemed like it was such a long day. I said, Well, you know, the only way that you can be comfortable with you is if you're welcome, you know, if if you give yourself enough time to be comfortable being alone. Because if you're not comfortable being alone, that means you need something. And that's codependence. You have to be very yep. comfortable being alone. That's very, that's also good advice. Yes. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, so I'm, what's very a happy, good I'm very happily single right now. And I'm really, really very excited. <laughs> <laughs> I'm enjoying the process. I get to decorate my house the way I want to decorate my house. <laughs> I can leave the coaster anywhere. It's good. <laughs> right. Right. And, and some days when I don't think I'm going to have a guest, I can walk around in my underwear. No problem. <laughs> exactly em- empty nester it's good <laughs> amen well i have a 17 year old son i'm teaching him how to walk around in his underwear too so it's good <laughs> <laughs> the proper form and stuff you gotta have yeah, man. Yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs> that's the best that's, that's, that's the best part about covid19 you know all these virtual zoom meetings and everything no one knows if you're wearing pants yeah, there's plenty of times I was just in my boxers and a polo shirt. Absolutely. <laughs> I, it's funny. In my virtual studio where I am right now, I have a, over here beside me to my left, there's a, a rack of different suits, right? And I'm, I'm, going, I'm doing air quotes around the word suits <laughs> because what they are is they're, they're a shirt with a tie already tied, right? Oh, and a jacket. And I walk over and I slip into it. And I come on camera and I do my thing and I get off and I take it off and I hang it right back up where it was. And I got three or four of them. So it looks like I can have different suits every day. <laughs> it's the best. Yes. It's freedom. Freedom. Exactly. In, in, in lots of ways. <laughs> yes. They're free. <laughs> Well, John, it's been great talking to you. I'm glad that you linked us together and uh, we got this thing set, uh, squared away and got you on here. Uh, if you could uh, tell the audience how to get in contact with you, the best ways to do that, and, and then we'll, uh, we'll end this like that. The easiest way to get a hold of me is corporateactionhero.com. You're going to find my LinkedIn, my, my, my Twitter, my, my uh, 
Facebook on there. Also, I want to make sure I give your audience something to, to go away with. And I'm going to give your audience a free gift. And that free gift is my 5F workbook. Now, I want to go back a little bit. I use the word free. Free is an important word because free means I, I'm not taking anything from you. This is a link that you're going to go and you're going to be able to just download it. I'm not even going to ask for your email address. You know, so it basically it's corporateactionhero.com slash gift. But what this book is, it, it takes you through my 5F process, helps you achieve your goals, get out of your self-limiting beliefs and moving forward towards uh, achieving your, you know, what you want in your life. So take the opportunity to go try that out. Also, since that link's going to take you to my website anyway, check out my vlog, which is a daily motivational video. I put out a, a new video every day. It's just a short couple minutes of motivation. So it's kind of something, the way to start your day and moving on. Um, so go check that out. If you don't want to do it on my website, you can also find it on YouTube under corporateactionhero.com or under corporateactionhero, not, not, not the .com part. <laughs> okay. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, John, again, for being on. And uh, I'll probably link up with you again in the future for more uh, good chat. This is a good chat. That's what, that's what this was. And I'd like to do it again sometime. Yeah, that'd be great. Anytime, man. Anytime. If you want to look up something, look up the Clarksville Jeep crew. That's who we have down here. You can see all the stuff that we do here. Oh, great. Uh, Clarksville, where, where Clarksville, where? Tennessee. Tennessee. Ah, yeah. Oh, Tennessee. Uh, so how far is that from Nashville? Uh, about 45 minutes. Okay. Are you, are you towards Murfreesboro? Uh, the opposite direction. We're west towards, uh, what north and west towards the Kentucky border. Okay. I used to, I used to direct the Tennessee Renaissance Festival many years ago. Oh, okay. Yes, that Murfreesboro is, uh, I say, 55 minutes from here. <laughs> okay. All right. Great. Well, well, you guys have a great day, and I'll, I hope to talk to you soon. Uh, thanks, John. You too. See you. That was great chatting with the corporate action hero, John Davis, about his life and his journey to get where he is today. Thanks for being on, and I can't, I can't wait to have you back on. You know how we do this. Thanks for taking some of your time to spend with us on The Misfit Nation. Be sure to hit that subscribe button and share the link as much as possible. We appreciate you. As always, till next time, be humble, stay hungry, and keep hustling. Because we are The Misfit Nation.